So we're going through a sermon series called um, our, our Core Values. Uh, we worked on them and redefined them and, and uh, tried to package them in a way that we can actually live these out through the strata process that you've been hearing a lot about. So we're on value number two this morning, and it is gospel-motivated mission. But before we jump into that, let's just go ahead and spend some time with the Spirit uh, all these scriptures I'm reading, all these words that I'm saying, hopefully as a message from God uh, to your hearts is, is no good unless the Holy Spirit is at work in this place. So would you just bow with me and you can have a little conversation with the Holy Spirit, asking the Holy Spirit to prepare your heart for what he has for you this morning, shaping you to be the person that he's calling you to be. And God, we just ask that you would be working in a powerful way, that your spirit would be in our hearts helping these scriptures come to life, that we could leave this place changed. We know that every encounter with you, God, every time we spend time with you, that we leave changed. And I pray that today we would leave changed in many ways. That you would continually walk with us on this journey as we become the church that you desire. As we become the church that makes you famous in our community. That people know you because of us following you. In your name we pray, amen. Gospel-motivated mission. What does that mean? Well, we're going to unpack it for you this morning. Uh, I'm going to go through each one of those words, first gospel and then mission, and we're going to spend the majority of time on motivated. It, it, the strata process showed that uh, we know the gospel as a church through the surveys you guys filled out. And the, the strata process also showed that you guys know the Great Commission. That's the call for the church. The strata process also showed that our new conversion growth is really, really low. So I think as a church, we lack in some motivation and maybe some understanding on how to do it. So that's why I'm going to spend the, the majority of the time on motivation. But let's go ahead and look at the word gospel. Uh, the gospel, the good news that Jesus died and rose again to pay the debt for our sins. That is the gospel. It's the simplest message, but yet it's the most profound message ever. This is the game-changing moment in history when Jesus came. It's kind of a big deal because it whether what you believe about the gospel has everything to do with where you spend eternity. So yeah, it's kind of a really, really big deal. Even though it's a simple message, it's a big deal that we believe in our hearts this message and that we know what it is. And my question is, how fluent are you in the gospel? Like how quick could you sit down with somebody who doesn't know the gospel and, and explain it to them and their content? Or in a, in a way that they can actually understand in their context. Um, this fall, we're going to be doing a series on helping you do that. Uh, what better? We're going to be doing a series on how to share the gospel um, behind the pulpit here. But don't wait till this fall. Like, between now and then, be working on it. Practice it. Sit down with people. Ask them, can I share the gospel with you? Be studying the scriptures, especially the four gospels, to see what, how do I explain this message? How did Jesus explain this message? How did disciples explain the message? How did Paul, the apostle, explain this message of the gospel? So that we can become fluent, because our fluency of being able to explain the gospel and use, and you guys know how passion works. If you're passionate about something, you can, you can make it compare to anything in life, right? If you're a passionate NBA fan, like everything relates to basketball, right? And basketball relates to everything. 
The same thing with the gospel. If we're passionate about the gospel, we should be fluent enough that we can, we can take any situation and say, hey, in this way, this kind of represents the gospel. Or take any person from where they're coming from and say, hey, where you're coming from, this is how the gospel could impact your life and could change your life. We need to become fluent on the gospel because it totally depicts how well we're going to do our mission. And that brings us to the next word, which is mission. What is our mission? Well, our mission is called the Great Commission. It was, this is Jesus' last time sitting down with the disciples. You guys got to understand, like, the bigness of this moment. Three years of training the disciples, three years of discipling them, comes this moment where he sits down and he says, listen, guys, all this training, all this time I've spent with you, listen, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I want you to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. And remember that I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That's the mission. That's what we're called to do. That's why the movement of the church exists. And so that pockets of Christians would gather together, train, encourage, and then spread out during the week and make disciples. What, I mean, I don't know how much you use the word disciple, so I want to make sure some of our terms are described here or explained and defined. Disciple is simply someone who follows another. And we're, we're a disciple of Jesus. Someone who looks at the life of Jesus and says, I want to be like Jesus. What Jesus believed, I want to believe. What Jesus did, I want to do. How Jesus lived, that's how I want my life to be lived. And the word go and therefore go and make disciples can also be translated as, as as you go. So what Jesus is saying is as you go and live life, as you get jobs, as you raise families, as you go to the marketplace, as you do what you do, go and do it in a way that people see Jesus. And people understand the gospel. Do it in a way that people get Jesus because of how you live. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We had three young ladies and one in the next service getting baptized. And that's so awesome. They're just saying, hey, I'm in. I'm in. I am one of you now. I am a follower of Jesus. And they also join us in the mission. And going and making disciples. Baptism is just that public sign as Dwayne unpacked really nicely for us this morning. And, and then it goes on to say, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Teaching them to obey. And that can look in a lot of different ways, but that's our job. We figure out, figure out ways of teaching people around us how to follow Jesus and obey the things that he commanded. And then he ends the Great Commission with, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. In other words, Jesus is saying this. You don't have to be good, but you need to be faithful. I'm with you every step of the way. I'll be here with you. I'll be giving you the words. I'll be giving you the boldness. I'll be giving you the strength. I'll be giving you the creativity on how to do this. You don't have to be good. Just be faithful. Because if you are faithful in doing this, I guarantee you, I will be with you every step of the way. This was Jesus' cause, why he came, to seek and to save the lost. And we join him in that mission when we become his followers. Now notice something here. Do you notice the multiplication strategy that Jesus sets up here? 
I know I'm, it's Sunday, I shouldn't be talking about math, right? But do you, do you notice the multiplication strategy? He says, go and make disciples. He did, not, he did not say, bring everyone to me, and I will, I will tell them about the gospel and explain the kingdom to them, and then when I die of old age, I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe someone else will rise up. That's not what Jesus said. He said, I'm actually wanting you to go. He said, I'm actually out of here. I'm leaving. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And I don't think you're getting this. All right, here we go. We're going to do a little, we're going to do a little uh, example here. I'm going to show you what addition looks like. I'm going to show you what multiplication looks like. We're going to pop up on the slide here a countdown. It's going to be 10 seconds. And what's going to happen is I'm going to be this evangelist that's walking around getting people saved. If I tap you on the shoulder, that means you're saved. You need to stand up to show everybody I'm saved. Okay, can we do this? I'm going to run around for 10 seconds tapping people on the shoulder. If you get tapped on the shoulder, you're saved. You just stand up and just stand there because you're saved. We're good? All right, this is called addition. Let's go. You're saved, you're saved, you're saved, you're saved, you're saved. You're saved, you're saved. You got saved. You got saved. You just raise your hand up. You got saved. You got saved. You got saved. Wait, did we not start the countdown? Okay, we're going to assume... Okay, there we go. That's, that's good. Okay, if you got saved, go ahead. Either raise your hand or stand up if you got saved. So... I, I, it was a little longer than, than 10 seconds, but um, look around. This is the people, and good, look at me, I mean, look at me, this evangelist walk around saving people, right? This is called addition. You guys can have a seat. A lot of churches believe that this is the best way to go, and I don't believe it's Jesus' strategy. They're like, hey, bring everyone to the church. Some cool guy with an awesome testimony is going like, to get everybody saved. Come bring them in, get them saved, and people come in, and it works to a small degree, but it's not the strategy Jesus set up. Let's try multiplication. Okay, let's try it again. This guy's, this time, guys, start the timer right on where I'm going to go, okay? Ten seconds. Now, here's the difference. Multiplication works like this. If you get saved, you now feel the responsibility to go and make disciples of others. And so as soon as you get tapped, you reach around, you start tapping as many people you can tap. And if someone taps you, then you stand up, you start tapping as many people you can tap in ten seconds. This is called multiplication. You ready? All right, Go. You're saved, start tapping, you're saved, 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 you're saved. All right, all right, that's it. Ten seconds up, we gotta stop. Okay, so there's still a lot of people not saved around here. <laughs> but but look, stay standing if you're standing, look around. Look, we even had one of these missionaries from this road jump over and start reaching this country over here. So we got a few converts over here. This country's largely unreached over here. <laughs> Got a bunch of heathens over here. Uh, but, okay, look how many people are standing in 10 seconds. See the difference in 10 seconds between multiplication and addition. You can have a seat. Jesus is saying, look, this is better that I go. And you're like, why? Why would Jesus say it's better that he can go? I mean, doesn't it make sense for Jesus to stay? What could possibly be better than Jesus staying? Why would he say it's better for me to go? Because he said, listen, this is what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to fill each one of you who are my disciples. And you go make disciples. Who make disciples? Who make disciples? Who make disciples? And that's how we're going to reach the world. Multiplication strategy of the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. Who make disciples. And as soon as you become a disciple, you get that call on your life. Oh, now I go. I go make disciples. 
And then you make a disciple of someone else to share the gospel with them. They trust Jesus, start following Jesus. And then you tell them, hey, I'm going to walk with you. Guess what you're going to be doing? Well, I don't know. What's my job? Well, if your job was over and you got saved, Jesus would just suck you right up into heaven. There's a reason you're left down here. Well, what's my job? To go and make disciples. I'm going to teach you how to go make disciples just like I made you a disciple. Do you guys get this strategy? This is what Jesus set out. All right, let's go to our third word we're talking about this morning. It's motivated, gospel-motivated mission. We know the gospel. We understand the mission. How does the gospel motivate us to do this mission of making disciples? Well, look at the first line of the Great Commission. First line of the Great Commission is, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Why does Jesus say that? My class that I'm teaching, we talked about this last Sunday they had some really profound answers. Why does Jesus say this? Every, the disciples know he's in charge. They know he's the Messiah, right? But he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me because Jesus wanted everyone to know when they read this mission, this great commission, that this comes from the top. This is not something that's just a side project that we do as disciples. This comes from the top. This is the mission, the very top, all authority has been given to me to say this. Go and make disciples of all nations. This is our job, guys. As a church, we cannot get this wrong. Go ahead, open your Bibles. You can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you've got phones or tablets, you can open your apps up. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. To make, make this job of making disciples, this is our job. We cannot get this wrong as a church. We can get a lot of things wrong as we grow and become the church God desires, but the one thing the church cannot fail at is making disciples who make disciples. If, the, if our community is not hearing the gospel message through us as their local church, how are they going to hear it? Who's going to tell them? Expect a missionary to come traveling in to Ohio to tell them because we're not doing our job? 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. This is Paul speaking. He says, And all of this is a gift from God. He's talking about the gospel, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering of our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Are you catching this? This is the job. We're supposed to be going around saying, come back to God. You're supposed to be reconciled to God. Did you know that God wants a relationship? Did you know that at the beginning, you and God had a relationship? It was way back a story that starts with Adam and Eve in the garden. That got, that got severed. Now our job is to go back and say, get reconciled to God. Come back to God. Everything else is secondary to this mission. In fact, anything else you have in your life is supposed to be strategized and used to help you accomplish this mission of you personally not inviting them to church, which you can invite non-saved people to church. It's not what I'm saying. I don't want you to outsource it for the church to say, well, if you need, if you need to hear about Jesus, come to church. No! If you need to be here about Jesus, 
sit down, let's get a cup of coffee. Right? Now I want to clarify the mission with giving you three points of theology and sharing the gospel. Greg Steer, the president of Dare to Share, explained this to me. This was extremely helpful to clarify exactly what is our mission of going to make disciples. And the three-point theology of sharing the gospel is this. It starts off with point number one. It's God's responsibility to save. We don't save people. We have no power in us to save people. And that also, this, what this means is if somebody comes to know the gospel through us talking and sharing with them about what we believe about Jesus and them saying, I want Jesus, I want to follow Jesus, then we know that all praise goes to God, right? We're just the ambassadors. It's actually Christ that's doing the saving work. Unto the Lord that gives salvation. Uh, it is our responsibility to share. That's dot number two. It's our responsibility to share. This is our mission, to share the gospel, to be an ambassador, to be a witness, to walk around talking about what Jesus has done so people get to know him, and representing him in how we work so people get to know him, and talking out loud with words about the gospel so people get to know him. Then the third dot is it's their responsibility to respond. The people that we're relating the gospel to, that we're making disciples, it is their responsibility to respond. And what that means is if they respond in a negative way, and if they say, you know what, I'm not interested in this gospel, I think you're one of those, those religious freaks, get out of my face, I don't like you, don't ever have this conversation with me again. If that's their response, that doesn't mean you failed. Because they're responsible for their response. And everyone's going to have to give an account at the end of their life to how they responded to the gospel. As long as you are faithful in sharing, when opportunity comes, you're doing it. You're doing your mission. So the key here is own your dot, which is it's our responsibility to share. Don't try to connect them all. Your brain will blow up. Own your dot and share the gospel. And give all praise to God when someone gets saved. So... One thing that should motivate us is this mission comes from the top, right? From all authority in, in Christ. I'm not, I can't talk about everything that motivates us, but I do want to talk about one more thing that should motivate us from the gospel to be on mission, and that is experiencing transformation. If you look at, you're still in 2 Corinthians there, just look at that first verse in 18. Stay in 2 Corinthians 2, we're going to read some more out of that. But um, look at verse 18 of chapter 5. It says, And all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. Paul's saying, we experienced this. He brought us back. We've experienced this. This should be one of our biggest motivations to actually go open our mouths and share about Jesus is because we've been changed. We've been changed through this. And if people come to us and say, hey, hey, listen, listen, man. Science says that God can't be real. Hey, listen, history's proven that Jesus wasn't who he said he was. You can say, hey, hey, you know, I don't, I don't really, I'm not as smart as you are. <laughs> I don't really understand all these things you're talking about, but, but I'm changed. This reminds me of John chapter 9. Remember the, the blind beggar? You guys know this story. Uh, he's blind all his life, begging, right? Jesus comes, put the mud in his eyes, he's healed, and the Pharisees are ticked. They're so mad at him. They're like, because he's just like, I'm healed, and Jesus did it. And they don't like Jesus. Like, no, Jesus didn't heal you. He's like, yeah, he did. He walked by. And, he, and they're like, well, what are you saying? And he's like, I don't know. Jesus is a really good man. He's a prophet. Maybe he's God. And they're like, no. 
There's no way Jesus could be God. What blasphemy are you talking about? And here's this little beggar, all his life blind, never went to a day of school in his life. And here's the Pharisees, the most educated people in the land, and they're having the debate of whether Jesus is God or not. And I love the beggar's response. It's so good. The beggar just says, listen, guys, I, I don't know everything you know. I don't understand all these things about you're talking about. But I was blind. And then I met Jesus. And I can see. I'll let you do the math. Whether Jesus is God or not. And guys, that's all our approach to the world. Like, I, I can't understand all these things, these, these atheists and different things that come out about how God can't be real and God doesn't save and, and Christianity is just a crutch and all these things. Like You're like, I, 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 don't, I don't know all these things that you say and all the evidence, but this is what I can say. Is that I was a messed up person. I was so deep in sin, I couldn't see the light of day. And then I met Jesus and I'm different. I am so drastically different. I'll let you do the math. Romans 1.16. I love this. Paul's saying the gospel is powerful. He's saying, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes. I'm not going to be scared of something to share about something that changed my life, man. It was powerful. You know, one thing I think that stops our motivation is, is that, being ashamed. Why does Paul say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Because the tendency is to be ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because we live in a culture where the gospel is not politically correct. We live in a, we live in a culture where you will get mocked for the gospel. Many of our brothers and sisters live in a culture that they will instantly be put to death if someone finds out that they're sharing the gospel. That's a reality. So the tendency is to be a little ashamed, a little fearful fearful of like sharing the gospel the fear of rejection what happens if i share the gospel and someone walks away from me and says i don't want to be your friend anymore what happens if i share the gospel and the people around me stand up and openly mock me or ask me questions i don't know any answers to and those are fears that are not something that might happen those are fears of things that will probably will happen when you share the gospel Look at Jesus, look at the disciples, look at the apostles, look with how they shared the gospel, look what happened to them. If we're trying to follow their example, we should not expect different results for ourselves when sharing the gospel. I'm going to let you in a little bit to my personal life. Guys, my biggest fear when it comes to sharing the gospel and going to make disciples is the, is the fear of sounding arrogant. I mean, follow me for a minute here. Who am I? And I don't know if you relate to this or not, but who am I to walk up to my neighbor's who am I to walk up to strangers in the street? Who am I to walk up to my friends and say, you better believe what I believe because if you don't believe what I believe, you're all going to hell. Doesn't that sound arrogant? This is a fear of mine. I mean, to walk up to somebody and say, hey, listen, my truth is the only truth. Your truth is false. Your religious scriptures are false. My religious scriptures are right. And if you don't believe it, you're going to be damned to hell forever. That feels arrogant. Unless it's true. Unless it's actually true. And if it is true, it will change a person to such a great degree that it would actually be very hateful of me not to tell them. 
and inform them of reality. And I need to get over that fear of sounding arrogant. What else stops our motivation? Well, I think, I think another thing is lack of urgency. I mean, sometimes, isn't it true, guys, don't we forget about hell? Jesus talked a lot about it, but do we talk a lot about it? That every person who does not hear the gospel, every person who does not believe in Jesus and trust in him will end up in hell. What about the high price Jesus paid? Shouldn't that rise up some urgency in us? Jesus nailed to a tree, separated from God, all the sins of the world placed on him. That's a high, high price so that humanity would not experience that fate in hell. Shouldn't that rise up some urgency? Like, man, we got to get this word out. How many of you guys were born in a Christian home? Just raise your hand. If you were raised in a home where the gospel was taught to you. Yes, right there. If if you look around, the majority of you, I would say 80%, maybe 90% of you were raised in a Christian home. That's a good thing. That's how we pass the generation, uh, the gospel on to generation to generation that were raised in a Christian home. But let me ask this question. Raise your hand right now if you were raised in a home where Jesus was not popular and that you did not hear the gospel. Raise your hand if that was you. Okay, there is like four hands up. Here's, I think, some of the problem with urgency. For those of you raised in a Christian home, you don't feel the urgency as much as the second group of people because you're just kind of assuming if we don't experience something you're kind of assuming well everyone's gonna hear it at home or you know i never heard the gospel by someone sharing the gospel with me you don't sense the urgency there like yeah it just, just kind of happened right you just kind of heard it and you were around it a lot you heard the testimonies this morning those are awesome testimonies of parents teaching their children the gospel but their tendency is there's gonna be a lack of urgency to share the gospel if you raise your hand in the second group the four of you you guys i guarantee are gonna be a lot more passionate about sharing the gospel why because if somebody hadn't talked to you you wouldn't have heard about jesus and guys for those of us who were born in a christian home we need to put ourselves into someone else's shoes that have never heard the gospel, grew up in a home rejecting the gospel, and we need to think, what would it take for them to believe? They need a Christian friend. They need a gospel conversation. They need someone to disciple them, walk beside them. You've got to put yourself in someone else's shoes in our community. It's going home to a very atheist, horrible situation at home where the gospel is not even mentioned. If it is, it's laughed at. What do they need? Bob, uh, short story here, I'm running out of time, sorry. Uh, Bob is, is a guy I met uh, through the youth program. He was a, he was a, he was a boyfriend to a mom of a, of a kid in the, in the youth program, and uh, Bob was in and out of jail. He's, he's addicted to drugs. Uh, it's just a, it's a mess situation. But I, I got to know him, started sharing the gospel with him. We started hanging out a lot. Bob would call me at early hours on Saturday morning, especially as Saturdays I get to sleep in. He'd call me at like 6 o'clock in the morning saying, hey, man, can you pick me up? I'm wasted again on the side of the road. I'd go pick him up, and we'd talk. And, uh, and, and now he's in jail right now, and since he's been in jail for the last uh, three years, he's been writing me letters. I got a last stack of letters about this high of letters from Bob in jail. Um, he calls me about three times a day on the phone, and I answer. And last year, God hit me really hard with something because I got started getting frustrated with Bob and annoyed with Bob. I was like, oh, this guy's always calling me. I love you, Bob, but you can't call me three times a day. You can't write so many letters and expect me to respond to them. I mean, there's six-page letters here. He's like, you're my only friend I got. I'm like, I, I know, but I don't got time for this. God hit me so hard with conviction. Boom. So hard. I about knocked the breath out of me. About a year ago, I was super annoyed with Bob, and God stopped me and said, Keith, 
How dare you look down upon somebody who is destroying their life with sin because you see Bob there? This is just after I visited him in jail. You see Bob there? That would be you. Man, it hit hard because it's true. It's so true. I know my anger from the past. I know all my addictions from the past. I know my hurt from the past. And if it wouldn't have been God walking with me, transforming into who I am today, I would be in jail as a drug addict paying child support on several different families. That totally would be me. How dare you look down upon somebody you are only changed because of the gospel. You did nothing to deserve this. You're not better. You didn't do anything that somehow made you a better person. This was all me transforming you. Now go to Bob and be an ambassador letting Bob know that you're just like him other than Jesus Christ changing you. And that's all you can claim for the change in your life. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Go ahead and turn there. Our motive should come from having experienced the transformational power of the gospel, longing for others to see and hear the experience and experience the life with God that we have. This is, I'm going to end with this. This is 2 Corinthians 4, chapter 3. If the good news we preach is hidden... Sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verses 3 to 10. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of, the, of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light, the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is in the exact likeness, likeness of God. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let there be light and darkness, has, has made this light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile j uh, clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side and troubled. And the scriptures go on there to talk about how we're, we're tormented. We may be uh, put under persecution because of sharing this message, but it has to go out. And honestly, clay pots, we can destroy clay pots. It's the treasure inside that matters. All these things in life that we have, they really don't matter. What matters is what's inside of us, and this is the light of the gospel, this treasure that affects eternity. So even if you are beaten, even if you lose your job, even if anything happens to this clay pot that you actually are, it's okay. All those things will perish anyways. What really matters is that because of your life, people know God. I'll tell you what we need to reach this community with the gospel. We need average people working average jobs, living in average neighborhoods who are passionate 
for Jesus Christ and are available at any time to have a conversation, to share Jesus, and are actively looking, saying, who needs Jesus? We need stay-at-home moms discipling their children, raising their children, teaching them about the gospel, inviting over other moms and other children who are from families that don't know the gospel. We need business owners who are running their business and strategically thinking in a way, how can I take my business and share the gospel with my employees, with my customers? Uh, I talked to Johnny Kime this week, and it's really cool. Johnny Kime uh, runs a welding. He's a member here at our church. Uh, he runs a welding business. He was able to unpack for me this week because I asked him the question, how his business shares the gospel with people. In fact, he even targets a certain group of people that needs to hear the gospel, and he also takes them out on hunting trips because they need to hear the gospel as like a perk to his business. It's not really a perk. It's a chance for him to have a gospel conversation. Isn't that cool? We need writers to write books about the gospel. We need people who are gifted athletes to use their stage in order to share the gospel with people like we saw done so well last Sunday at the Super Bowl by the Eagles. We need shoppers who like to go to malls, to go to malls shopping, saying, God, who should I pray with? Who should I share the gospel? Who here needs to hear the gospel? People of Fairlawn, we want this church to be a church that values gospel-motivated missions to the extent that we actually go on the mission. Gospel-motivated mission, using who I am and my resources to share the gospel and make disciples until everybody in my community hears the gospel and is invited to trust Jesus. I'm cut short on time, which is great. The baptisms were awesome. I'm glad to be cut short on time for baptisms. But I just want to mention at least the nations. We did not get time to unpack the nations. We we're talking a lot about our home community. But if we want, I'll tell you what we need for reaching the nations. We need everybody in this congregation to at least be asking the question before God, do you want me to go and share the gospel with a different nation, with another people group? And if God says yes, we need you to be obedient. Talk to Derek Miller, our, our director of missions. Um, and he will, he'll help you with that process, but we need everybody asking that question, and if God calls you to go, we're going to send you. I'm so proud of our missionaries. I'm so proud of Kyle. so proud of Julie for representing us in different nations of people. Um, we need people doing that, but I'm going to reiterate what I said for this community because that's the majority of what I'm talking about. In this community, we need average people working average jobs, living in average communities who are passionate for Jesus Christ, and willing to share the gospel. Can we pray? God, I pray that we would go on mission. God, that we would not take the call to go and make disciples lightly, but we would form our whole lives around it. That we would use every opportunity to tell people about how we've experienced you, what you've done in our life. God, help us to be a church that not just says we value gospel-motivated missions, but actually values it to the place that we're on mission for you, and that our community is actively every day and every year hearing the gospel through us. In your name we pray. Amen.